And then at the top, there's two half-length board exams. So I think on the boards, it's now like 85 virtual slides. So there's two like 45 slide ones on there. Um, so those are kind of, you know, big, long ones. So you can practice getting a little bit of uh, endurance also for the real thing. Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. We've seen some new teaching methods as well as study aids in recent years, and I think this is partially due to the effect of the pandemic. Some of these study aids seem really effective in studying for boards. My guest today is Dr. Kurt Schauberg. Dr. Schauberg is the residency program director at UC Davis, and he's also the creator of Kurt's Notes. Today, we're going to talk about his career so far, how he became interested in teaching, and then how he created Kurt's Notes and some features of the site. All right, here's Dr. Kurt Schauberg. Tell me about who or what kind of inspired you to become a doctor. Well, I guess I should start by saying that it's a little bit of a family business. Uh, so okay. my grandfather, my uh, dad's dad, was a family doctor. I guess he graduated from medical school in 1939. And so then there have been several other nurses. And my dad uh, has a brother who's a surgeon and stuff, too. And I guess on the other side of the family, my mom was an internal medicine doctor. Uh, so I was definitely aware of medicine as a profession growing up. But I guess mm -hmm. despite that, I really loved Legos as a kid. And as a uh, corollary of that, a result of that, I thought I was going to be an engineer kind of uh, through all, throughout high school and stuff too. Um, but then when I was in high school, I started ski patrolling, uh, which is kind of, you know, like lifeguards for the ski slopes. And for that, you have to take a pretty long first aid course, which is essentially like an EMT course. And I mm -hmm. realized that, um, you know, instead of uh, just dealing with like mechanical engineering problems and things like that, you can, there's a whole other world of interesting uh, problems and uh, trying to fix things and whatnot that with one of the most complex, uh, you know, systems that we're trying to understand the human body. So it kind of uh, awakened in me a separate interest. So kind of at the end of high school, I switched from thinking I wanted to go to engineering school to thinking, I think I want to be pre-med. So, but then kind of because of my interest in ski patrolling, I thought when I went into medical school that I should be an ER doctor because I'd been you know, used to kind of dealing with people in kind of emergent situations in the woods in the winter. And I thought, what would be the, the culmination of that would be, you, know, you sled someone down the hill, load them into an ambulance, and I'm the ER doctor who takes them out of the ambulance at the other end and diagnoses their broken wrist or whatever like that. But um, when I started doing ER rotations, I saw that uh, you know, well, it's actually an orthopedic surgeon that takes, you know, the person with the broken wrist and the person with a head injury goes to see neurosurgery. And, you know, a lot of these people, once they get diagnosed, are being diverted to other services. So I felt a little bit adrift in trying to figure out what I wanted to do. But kind of going back to being an engineer, I really liked to try and understand things at kind of the foundational level. And for whatever reason, I guess maybe this has to do with engineering too. I liked to see the problem. I was thinking I wanted to be like a mechanical engineer. Mm, and okay. in pathology, you kind of get to see the problem, see the tumor, see the inflammation, and kind of understand perhaps at a more 
fundamental level than some of the other people uh, or other spe- specialities. What uh, is going on kind of in terms of the pathophysiology? So it was a little bit of a winding road, but that's how I kind of I came to the foot, the, the door of pathology. I like that story. That's, that's interesting. Now you mentioned some of the other specialties that, you know, ER and then like neurosurgery and um, or orthopedic surgery and stuff. Did any of those other ones interest you before, before you happened upon pathology? Um, you know, the visual ones, I think kind of bubbled to the top a little bit. So radiology was definitely something I was considering maybe uh-huh. dermatology, but okay. you know, in those other specialties, you still end up just kind of giving a pretty broad differential of, you know, for uh, radiology, it's, you know, they, you probably read some radiology reports before dissecting some things. And you're like, oh, they say the differential includes like, you know, infectious and uh, malignant etiologies or something like that. And uh, I guess that wasn't good enough for me. I kind of wanted to know the answer. And I liked seeing in color, which radiologists don't always get to do. So uh, a combination of like getting to see in color and kind of hopefully being the doctor's doctor with the answer um, kind of led me to uh, pathology. And I guess, you know, although I loved surgery rotations and things like that, you know, it didn't take too many mornings of waking up at 4 a.m. to round, uh, you know, and being up all night to realize that may not be sustainable for my entire life. Whereas Mm -hmm. tons of pathologists who were, you know, 70 years old and still going strong and super interested in it and whatnot. Okay. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Now, I read that the pathology department uh, where you went to medical school, they were heavily involved in teaching. And that was kind of a, a large part of the reason why you chose pathology. C- can you tell me that story? Sure. Yeah. And I guess that was another thing that contributed to this choice in addition to uh, the things I already mentioned. So, uh, at the University of Vermont, uh, where I went, I guess I grew up in Vermont uh, being a ski patroller. Uh, at the University of Vermont, the pathology department, I guess historically, has just been very interested in teaching. And consequently, every year, like five people went into pathology, it seemed like, out of a class of just over 100. So compared to a lot of other places I've been, that's a very high rate. And I think that's pretty much due to what wonderful teachers and how involved they are. So it was kind of an uh, or organized by organ system. So uh, after kind of doing some basics, you know, anatomy and stuff like that, then it would be two months of cardiovascular medicine, which they would have lectures by uh, cardiologists, lectures by radiologists. They would also have lectures by pathologists. So kind of throughout all of your training, kind of with every new course you took, you'd get visits from members of the pathology department. And so Kind of consequently, by the time I was kind of done with the first two years of medical school, I'd kind of met more or less the entire pathology department at UVM since they'd all swung by at some part at some point in time to do a lecture. And I guess I was one of the kids who always went to lecture. Not always the case in medical school now that everyone plays podcasted or are forced to be remote with pandemics. But I guess you know I'd met every pathologist or you know at least listened to them by the time I was kind of. Uh, getting done with the classroom portion. And they were also very active with uh, showing gross organs. So again, with all of these sections, when it was, you know, studying the heart, there would be a session where we'd all rotate through the equivalent of like a gross room. And they had a very extensive like pathology museum with a bunch of hearts with various cardiomyopathies and things like that. So 
and they were very interested in kind of showing us all these things and we'd all put on gloves and you get to feel the disease and then we'd uh, go and use a virtual microscope and look at the slides with them. So they were all just very uh, enthusiastic and energetic. And I guess I can kind of uh, motivate others to be enthusiastic and energetic too. Uh, and I think they were probably the department that we, or I got to know the best since we kind of got to know all of them as we rotated through the organs, you know, it'd be mostly like the one cardi one cardiologist who would give all the cardiology lectures, but it seemed like every pathologist uh, gave a lecture at some point in time. So uh, they definitely uh, inspired me to go into it. Let's go on then to uh, fellowships because you did two of them. So the one was in GI pathology and one was in cytopathology. And now, of course, I'm not a pathologist, I'm not a doctor, but as I understand it, it seems like two fellowships is a little bit uh, unusual. So uh, why did you, uh, let, let's go through why you chose these these two and, and why you did two to begin with. Yeah, so I guess another thing is I took, um, so I knew I wanted to do academic pathology, um, you know, and I, as we'll probably talk a little bit more about my interest in teaching, but, mm -hmm. you know, I kind of, through my experiences at UVM, I essentially, you know, viewed a lot of those people as a role model. I wanted to teach people the way that I had been taught. Um, and since I knew I wanted to do academics in a big medical center, I realized that pathology is kind of split up into the AP and CP components, AP anatomic pathology, CP clinical pathology. Yeah. And a lot of times uh, you, if you're going to be, I knew I wanted to be a surgical pathologist. So I would probably only need the AP part of my training. Um, I know, are you familiar with the book Robin's pathology? Oh yeah, kind of like a, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, the, one of the main authors of that is a boss. Yeah. You've seen like his name on the cover. Sure. So when I was a medical student, I did a rotation at UCSF, um, cause my, uh, wife to be, uh, was from California and she really wanted to come back to California and her parents lived pretty close to UCSF in San Francisco. So I did a rotation at UCSF. And at that time I was thinking I wanted to be a, uh, I, I knew I wanted to be a, an academic pathologist. And so I was, while I was rotating there, it was also the beginning of interview season. So I uh, interviewed with Abul Abbas, who was the chair of pathology there. And as a large part of his interview, he was basically said like, if you're really considering academics, you should just do AP only or CP only. And it's interesting, uh, both, there were two medical students rotating there at the same time, me and this other guy. Uh, and we both interviewed with him. And afterwards, I became AP only and he became CP only because we both knew we wanted to do academics. And he was really interested in microbiology. And I was really interested in surgical pathology. So I guess, you know, although I didn't go to UCSF, uh, that was a very uh, informative interview. And it was also a little uh, noteworthy because... Uh, Dr. Abbas's uh, office, uh, it was on a high floor in the UCSF building. And so you could see the Golden Gate Bridge uh, out the window of his office. Oh, wow. And it was, fle and it was Fleet Week uh, at, in there. So the Blue Angels were practicing right outside his window. So, <laughs> wow. so we'd like, you know, be talking and be like, oh, you should really do AP only. And then a F-16 would fly by right in front of the Golden Gate Bridge. And he'd be like, whoa. I'm going to remember this for a while, but, uh, <laughs> I, I bet that was, that was pretty loud probably. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, feet away, but it was definitely distracting. We would take a little pause to okay. kind of laugh to each other, you know, about like, that's pretty cool. You know, because it'd also be, you know, in formation or whatever. It's like a scene from the movie The Rock uh, with, you know, Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage uh, mm. or something. Yeah. Uh, so it was, uh, this was a little bit of a diversion, but basically what I, so based on my interview with Dr. Abbas, uh, I knew I wanted to do AP only. So if you do AP only, then you only need to do two years of AP residency. And then your uh, third year, you can do an, an a, uh, certain fellowships in your third year. So I actually did my GI fellowship in my third year of residency. And so I, and then GI and Cyto might kind of seem like a, not necessarily the most, you know, uh, logical partners, but for whatever reason, it was a very popular combination at Stanford uh, where I ended up going for residency, where I think I was, you know, maybe like in my year alone, there were two of us that did that. Uh, and the year before there was at least one person and one year before that. So it seemed like, you know, there's certain things that kind of pair well together. I think, you know, historically there used to be a lot of breast FNAs. So maybe breast and cytology made sense, but that that's now it's all kind of core biopsies. Pap smears are kind of decreasing in volume with HPV testing. But one thing that there's still a fair amount of are uh, pancreas FNAs and bile duct brushings and things like that. Oh, yeah. So there is a, a little more overlap uh, than you might think. I mean, maybe these uh, trends will continue and will, you know, it'll all be lung cytology in 10 years or something like that. But um, at least kind of when I was training, we did have a lot of kind of GI tract cytology specimens. Uh, and I guess also these are also also both kind of high volume services of, you know, there's a lot of cytology in the world as uh, biopsies get smaller and smaller. There's a lot of GI in the world as people get lots of colonoscopies and things like that. So it also seems like some good job security also of like, uh, I'll be able to find a job because there's a lot of these specimens out there. So I guess it was kind of, uh, you know, I had kind of a shorter training than one might anyways, because I kind of had this condensed just kind of AP route. And then, so it didn't really take me any more time. I still in four years did residency and two fellowships. Um, okay. So it's kind of an accelerated course since I kind of had a laser focus on what I wanted to do. Okay. That's interesting. I, I didn't know you, you could, you could do it that way. That That's interesting. All right. Yeah. I'd say not a lot of people do because it gives you a little less job flexibility because you can't be like, uh, you know, a little private practice where, you know, you need to do transfusion and also look, sign out surge path biopsies. But mm -hmm. I knew I wanted to kind of do this one thing. So I kind of took a, rolled the dice a little bit, but so far it's panned out. All right, let's, let's move on to the teaching aspect then, because this is a kind of a, a large part of what you do uh, at, at least these days. But I'm curious when, when did the interest in teaching start for you? Like how far back does that go? Well, I guess I've always kind of been a curious person. And even as a kid, I was very curious and I would make nature documentaries. That I had filmed with the camcorder when I was, you know, in elementary school and stuff like that. But I'd say more like uh, when I was a boy scout, there was a position in my troop that where you were a troop guide, where you were kind of embedded with the younger scouts, kind of helping teach them things. Um, instead of being in a more senior patrol. And so I was a troop guide when I was in Boy Scouts. So I liked kind of teaching the younger scouts uh, all the knots and things like that. And 
there wasn't as much role for teaching in kind of, uh, you know, my undergraduate degree or in medical school. But then once, particularly when I was a senior resident and fellow, then, you know, I had had a lot more opportunity. I had kind of developed a, uh, or was beginning to develop a very specific set of skills. And there were people who were trying to learn those skills in the cubicle right next to me that I really enjoyed kind of taking under my wing and, uh, showing them the ropes of, you know, this is how we're going to dissect this case, or this is how we're going to do an FNA and stuff like that. So I'd say starting my second year of residency or more so when I was a fellow, um, when you're a fellow at uh, Stanford too, you would also do rotations where you were, quote, a junior attending. So you were, you know, functioning as an attending on certain times of the year. And so during those times, I really uh, savored the opportunity to kind of, you know, be the one driving the scope, but pointing things out to my uh, compatriots in arms, uh, learning uh, the tools of the trade. And so I guess because of that, I got the fellow teaching award when I was a Cito fellow. And, you know, I kind of knew I wanted to do academics anyways, and then just kind of grew from there when I got my first uh, faculty job at the University of Kentucky. There was was a ton of, uh, you know, uh, willing minds. And I was more than willing to kind of jump in there and uh, get going with it. And I guess kind of hearkening back to UVM also, you know, I witnessed the uh, enthusiasm that some pathologists can have and found it very transformative in myself. So I wanted to kind of model that also. You mentioned uh, you used to make nature documentaries when you were a kid. <laughs> Do you still have those? Yeah. Um, I think we do on VHS. So, oh, wow. uh, <laughs> but I don't have a VHS player, so mm. may, I should probably get that converted to digital before uh, they're lost to the sands of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, VHS player. That's I think hard to find these days. Now, what about what about the Boy Scouts? How far did you get in the Boy Scouts? Did you get the uh, Eagle Scout award? I did, and you then did. three palms uh, for because oh, wow. I just kept kept getting merit badges. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I was a Boy Scout. I I didn't get Eagle. I got what's the one below that? Life. Life. I, life. Yeah, that's yeah, as, yeah. that's as far as I got. So those are a little off topic, but sometimes those are fun to talk about. Uh, <laughs> so now you're a residency director at yeah. Okay, at, at UC Davis. Mm-hmm. Now, actually, before we get into that, um, I'm curious because you mentioned the skiing uh, a couple of times. Was it important to you to get a job? at a place that was, that had skiing nearby? Um, kind of, you know, it definitely was something that was informative. So my first job, uh, was at the university of Kentucky, which was, which was a little far from skiing for my likes. Uh, but they were very generous with their away time and we didn't have kids at the time. So I went on, you know, uh, ski trips during my off service time and, uh, us cap the big pathology conference was uh, in Vancouver one March. So I went to us cap and then spent a week at Whistler and stuff like that. So I still got some skiing in, but uh, it was a little frustrating to not be able to like go on weekends. So one reason that kind of drew me to UC Davis is, uh, you know, my wife's family is from California. So, and we were beginning to grow our family. So it was, would, seemed like it would be nice to be near a grandma and grandpa to, uh, you know, help with kids and things like that. And their Lake Tahoe is very close to uh, Sacramento, although Sacramento here, we're kind of in 
We're in the Central Valley, so it's kind of more farmland. It's pretty warm here. But within an hour and a half, I can be up at 10,000 feet in the Sierra Nevada mountains. So uh, good skiing is not far away, but I don't need to shovel my driveway. So it's uh, a good compromise. See, I I like that because I I live in Wisconsin and I like the idea of if you want winter, you can drive to it. And if you don't, you don't have to. (laughs) I don't don't really get that choice here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, similarly in Vermont, you didn't have a choice. You Mm -hmm. just had to suffer through, uh, I guess, probably similarly cold winters of it being negative 20 for a week in January and stuff like that. Um, So I think this is a good compromise location for my wife. We don't have to shovel the driveway. Never really gets too cold here, but you know when it rains here, when we're not having a horrible drought, when it rains in Sacramento, it dumps up in the mountains. So it's not uncommon for us to, you know, we have a rainy day here, and they'll get eight feet of snow up in the mountains. It just because wow. you know it goes. We're at we're more or less at sea level, and that's at ten thousand feet. Uh-huh. So that just is it rings out the clouds like a sponge, and all the water just kind of uh, dumps up there. Okay. Okay. Well, great for skiing, I suppose. <laughs> if you can make it up there on the road, sometimes they, they shut, had to shut down the highway for like a week during one of those storms this year, it seemed like. Oh, sure. Sure. Wow. Okay. All right. All right. So back to the residency director yeah, role. Yeah. All right. So uh, how did that come up for you? So, um, you know, given my interest in uh, teaching, when I was at the University of Kentucky, they made me, they were looking for someone to be an associate program director, which is kind of, you know, uh, someone to kind of help out with the program director. So I was an associate program director there and helped kind of interview people and manage the residency a little bit and stuff like that. Uh, then we moved to California to be closer near family and skiing. And they also needed, I'd been, after being there a year, there was uh, some people shuffling around to take on different jobs and they again needed an associate program director. So I said, I love teaching. You need, I've been an associate program director. This seems like a logical fit. So uh, I became associate program director here at UC Davis. Then I was that for a little while. And then the program director, who'd been program director for almost a decade, uh, accepted a promotion to kind of do informatics stuff at the Cleveland Clinic. So he was moving on to greener pastures. And then there was a they needed someone to be program director and I'd already been associate program director. And so it kind of seemed like a logical kind of fit in that I'd kind of, you know, done it. I knew how things worked. Um, and I loved teaching in residence and, uh, mm-hmm. am relatively proximal to the resident experience, uh, being a younger attending. Uh, and I, you're in order to be a program director, you have to have at least, uh, five years of training outside of, uh, after a fellowship. And I, had just reached that mark. So it was kind of a perfect timing and there was a need and I was willing to serve. So in this role, what what are some of your kind of favorite uh, parts of it? So, I mean, teaching is kind of why I got into academics. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I really love teaching at the microscope and uh, I love sharing interesting cases with residents, but I also really enjoy getting to kind of know them and watch them kind of uh, grow, figure out what they want to do and stuff. Also, you know, we're uh, then kind of connect them with fellowships and uh, try to mold them to think critically and just trying to make uh, programmatic improvements and stuff too. Uh, You know, I 
really loved my residency at Stanford. And so wherever I've been, whether it be at the University of Kentucky or at UC Davis, I've been trying to kind of uh, bring the cool ideas I've witnessed in different departments and kind of bring them to whatever department I'm in. Um, so for example, one thing we had at Stanford was very regular kind of like interesting case conferences, um, for lack of a better word, where you know, everyone would kind of, if you've had an interesting case, people would bring it. And you kind of all sit around a microscope together, or now it's all virtual, but sit around to people from their respective computers can share uh, interesting cases because you know we might get interesting cases every day, but they might kind of just cross one bench in the gross room and then go through one microscope. But this way, kind of everyone can see the breadth that a department has to offer. So I love kind of uh, sharing interesting cases with people and kind of uh, making these improvements to kind of, or you know, coming up with those ideas to kind of help us all learn and improve together. Okay, I like that. That's that's a really good way to. You know, like you said, if it's only one person has seen it, you know, it's some kind of rare thing or, or maybe not so rare, but it, it allows people to have more experience with a wider variety of case types. So that's, that's exactly. Great. Yeah, that's great. I, if, I love that idea. And if, if you've never seen it or never, you know, even heard of it, you can never diagnose it. So, I mean, there were uh, a lot of things that I've eventually seen in practice that I'd kind of only seen in the set in this sort of setting. Uh, you know, as a resident, we'd have these things regularly at Stanford, and that was the only way I'd seen certain very rare tumors. And then, you know, lo and behold, four years later, one will cross my desk, you know, and I'm like, oh, I remember this, you know, and stuff like that. So I think it's kind of through these experiences that uh, you can kind of uh, just get a broader experience. Uh, and I think people seem to enjoy it. So I keep trying to bring in new ideas like this uh, to UC Davis. Okay. Okay. That's great. I like that. This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guest, Dr. Kurt Schauberg. We'll be right back. LabVine is an interactive online learning platform where laboratory professionals learn, develop, and discover by sharing knowledge and building on each other's experience. The platform provides global access to internationally accredited laboratory-specific courses and other resources developed by lab specialists for the laboratory industry. LabVine is free to sign up, and you can use the link in the show notes to get started. Now back to Dr. Kurt Schauberg on the People of Pathology podcast. Uh, let's talk about your website. It's called Kurt's Notes, and I know this is pretty popular. I've seen a lot of talk about it on, on Twitter and other places. So let's go to the beginning of that. Like when and, and why did you uh, start this site? The first idea of it probably came when I was a resident. So, you know, a lot of residencies have talks and uh, things like that, morning didactic lectures. And occasionally at those, they would give out handouts that I would find, I would collect in a binder and I found very useful. I would, you know, had this binder at my desk as a resident. I would often, you know, flip through it to be like, oh, what was it Dr. Sibley was saying about immunohistochemistry or something like that? And I'd kind of flip through and kind of pull up uh, certain pages when I had certain cases that necessitated it. So another thing they had as a resident is every resident had to give a talk once a year on kind of a topic of interest to them. And so when I was a second year resident, uh, I did my talk on prostate cancer grading, which is basically, you know, determining how aggressive does it look um, since they had kind of had some recent meetings where they were kind of changing some of the grading a little bit and stuff like that. So I wanted to kind of share that with my uh, co-residents and I made 
a handout to go along with that, where I kind of drew some little cartoons uh, to kind of uh, and tried to simplify things down to like their basic sort of things and essentially try to create what some people I've also heard call like wall hangers, you know, something you could kind of put up in your cubicle and might refer to a little bit or put in your binder. And my co-residents found it really useful. You know, everyone was like, can I have a copy? Can I have a copy? And people who weren't able to make my lecture were asking me to email them copies because they were at the VA that month or something like that. So that kind of gave me a taste of like, it's fun to make things that people seem to enjoy and find useful. Um, so then when I was starting being an attending at the University of Kentucky, I started having to give my own lectures. And I remembered how useful people seemed, how useful I found these handouts and how much some people enjoyed these handouts that I was making. Uh, that one time I gave a lecture as a resident. So I decided, you know, you can only remember so much from a one hour session. Why don't I, you know, try to summarize everything this on like one sheet of paper, like front and back or something like that. And so I started doing this for each of my scope sessions or lectures uh, as I was uh, beginning to kind of do these things at the University of Kentucky. And the residents there found them really useful also. I think the first time I did one of these, uh, one of the first year residents came up to me and she was like, uh, you know, like, thank you so much. This is really helpful. Uh, can you make everyone make one of these or something like to that effect? So that kind of, you know, I guess... Uh, I'm someone that responds to positive feedback. Uh, and so mm -hmm. since they really seem to like it and I kind of found it useful just to teach myself to kind of consolidate my own knowledge to kind of putting these things together, I started making more and more of these uh, kind of as I started doing more and more lectures at the University of Kentucky. And so originally they kind of were mostly involved GI, which was what I did a fellowship in and what. I was mostly doing lectures in kind of because of that as University of Kentucky, although I did do kind of general pathology there. I was kind of one of the go-to GI people and uh, did a lot of GI teaching. So that's what kind of the first ones were in. And uh, I had a little website there that I would kind of post them on. So then moved to the University of California. I was kind of, you know, getting things up and running here. And I found that they had a service where basically you could make your own website and the uh, school would host it. And so I decided, oh, I have all these handouts. I had had them hosted at the University of Kentucky. My account's inactive there now since I no longer work there. Why, why don't I post them here? And I was trying to think of like a name for it. And so at first I had like something very just generic, like anatomic pathology education. Okay. Uh, but then I was like, uh, that's not very... Uh, Cool. And I remembered, you know, in high school, sometimes people would have Cliff's notes. Yes. Uh, I was going to ask you if that's, <laughs> if it was a takeoff of that. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So, so there, if people had Cliff's notes and my last name, Schauberg is a little bit of a mouthful. People will pronounce it Schaberg, Schauberg, you know, it's a little harder to pronounce. There's this thing called Cliff's notes. I should just call this Kurt's notes. People like, it's an easy thing. Kurt, you can pronounce it pretty easily. Like, you know, you pronounce it how it's spelt. So there's less, you know, ambiguity there mm -hmm. and it's pretty short. So I named it Kurt's notes and started posting uh, building stuff th there, all my things from Kentucky. And then I would continue to make things as they kind of came up in my practice at UC Davis. Then comes the COVID pandemic and a bunch of wildfires in California. So there was a period of time there when, you know, you couldn't go outside because we were in the middle of a really bad drought mm -hmm. and 
it was really smoky because um, we're in this valley. And so the smoke, even though the fires were hundreds of miles away, it would kind of sit in the valley here. And so the air was kind of unhealthy. You weren't really supposed to go running or go hiking a lot. And the visibility wasn't very good. And so you couldn't go outside. And it was really hot anyways because it was the summertime. And you couldn't go to the movies or anything because they aren't open because it's a pandemic. So I was kind of locked inside for like two months. because it was like, well, I you can only watch so much Tiger King. Uh, I think I'll, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, work on... I'll brush up on some, you know, uh, lung pathology or whatever. And so okay. I started rounding out my notes and like adding things that weren't GI or Cyto. I started adding GYN and lung and breast and things like that. And then eventually for a long time there, it was just kind of my residents using it. So I can track who's using it, not like to the person, but just by like city uh, with Google analytics. So you can kind of see like, oh, there's a lot of users in Lexington, Kentucky, and there's a lot of users in Sacramento. And, you know, some of my former trainees would go on and you'd see little pockets pop up other places. But then, you know, during the COVID pandemic too, I kind of jumped on uh, med Twitter. And then eventually I was like, hey, maybe I'll tweet about my website. And then uh, it seemed like it suddenly found a larger user base. So, you know, the number of people using it a day went from like five to like a couple hundred, Nice. you know, just over the course of a couple of weeks or whatever. And then that kind of motivated me to uh, put more into it also. And that you're like, oh, people like it. I might as well, you know, uh, I want to make it more complete, you know, and I kind of developed, you know, kind of dual purposes for it, uh, which I think you, it looks like maybe you'd be, you're going to be curious about also, but I kind of had, um, have two main goals for it Okay. in that I, when I was studying for the AP boards, there wasn't like a single great AP boards, uh, location. You know, there's a lot of books people who can use. Some are better than others. So I wanted to make something that would be like a go-to resource for studying for the boards. But also, you know, there were a lot of potential places you could kind of use to uh, study or when you're, you know, previewing would be the term that we used at Stanford. You know, you've kind of have the cases that you gross the day before and you're trying to make heads or tails of them before bringing them to an attending. So I've tried to make something that kind of serves multiple purposes of something that, you know, is brief enough that you can use it to study and doesn't contain a, a ton of extraneous information. But it's also kind of uh, broad enough that you can use it to kind of distinguish between things at the scope also. And in, you know, it's a little bit of a struggle sometimes to decide which, if I'm going too far one way or the other, am I putting in too much information or not enough information? Uh, but that's kind of a, a brief history of uh, how it evolved and then kind of what my original intent uh, for it was. Okay. I, I like that. That's, that's a really interesting story. So it wasn't kind of originally intended to be a, a tool for studying for boards, but it, it turned into that and it's kind of taken off. It seems like. Yeah. I mean, it certainly seems like it's found an audience, which I'm very appreciative of because there's certainly a fair amount of uh, sweat equity that's gone into it. So I'm glad that uh, people like it. And then it certainly motivated me to pour more sweat into it during my uh, downtime and stuff like that. So I kind of mm -hmm. keep adding to it whenever I uh, find the opportunity, but yeah, definitely 
it started out as kind of uh, something to accompany my lectures, but it has then blossomed into much more. Do you, you know, you mentioned Google Analytics and all of that. Can you tell like what is the most or what are the, the most popular uh, sections of, of the site? Yeah, so um, the most popular one is the, um, I think maybe the first link on the front page, which is um, inflammatory GI, which is kind of, it's a pattern-based approach, which is based on a book by Christina Arnold, who I know is a former guest of uh, the podcast. Right. I listened to part of her episode. I listened to her episode. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. So she has an awesome book that's like a pattern-based approach to GI pathology that's kind of been spun out into a whole series. There's now a neoplasm one, and there's one on a growing list of other topics. And so I read her book when I was at the University of Kentucky. I was like, this is a really great you know, way to organize this thinking, but this is a big book. Um, so what I've kind of started doing now is like every time I read a pathology book, I kind of take notes as I do, and then eventually that may grow into a Kurtz notes. And so I tried to, you know, kind of distill some of the essence of her book, which is 300 pages or something like that into like 12 pages. So that's, and so I kind of credit her book kind of at the top, I think of that page, because it's, you know, inspired by that. But then, you know, I take 30 pages and condense it into a paragraph or something like that. So a lot gets left on the cutting room floor, but I guess it's kind of like, you know, uh, just the the very bare minimum amount of meat left, but that's the most popular one. Another one, which I wouldn't have guessed is ovary is a very popular one. Um, and then another one is soft tissue. So, um, that makes sense. It's I, yeah. So th- I guess these are complex areas where I maybe, you know, have tried to put a lot of time into making them a little more simple. Uh, those seem to be the most popular ones, but a lot of them get a fair amount of usage, but those are kind of the, the big three. As far as time, like how, how much time does it take to make, you know, say the, the organ specific sections, like how much time does it take to make one of those? I guess it kind of depends on how familiar I am with the organ. So, you know, the GI ones and the cyto ones, I uh, whipped out pretty quick in the beginning since mm. I know those like very well. I kind of, you know, could just in my head plan them out and kind of don't need to look up a ton of stuff in a book. But then when it comes to things uh, that I don't know very well, so like I did a neuropathology one uh, like a year ago or something like that. And I did like one month of neuropathology and residency and kind of, you know, that was it. And they've come up with new classifications since then. So I had to really kind of, you know, relearn slash just learn a lot of the stuff. So one of the ones on something that I know really well, I, if it's not a very, if it's a pretty small topic, like, you know, just gallbladder, I could probably do that on like an, in like an afternoon or something, or maybe I'll do a first draft in an afternoon and then polish it up on a second day or something like that. But if it's uh, neuropathology and that's kind of, that was a big bear one. That's like a 30 page handout because I read like the whole WHO for neuro and kind of condensed that in. So that one was more, you know, like a couple months of, you know, on, nights and weekends, kind of when I found time kind of going in it. So it really runs the gambit. I guess, you know, I did all the low hanging fruit first. So now I'm really uh, reaching for those high up apples uh, to try and uh, and working a lot harder for some of these other ones. I 
uh, am just kind of putting hopefully the finishing touches on a medical kidney one, which I really had to relearn a lot of stuff for. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so now eventually I need to decide like uh, what topics are too big to (laughs) try and address, if that makes sense. Sure. Sure. Do you get messages from people like requesting topics? Does that happen? Yeah, that definitely happens. Uh, A popular request. Well, I've, a popular request for a while was neuro. So I did that. And then another one people have requested are medical kidneys. So I'm working on that. But another one that I'm a little afraid to address is uh, hematology. So, you know, like uh, lymphomas and leukemias and things like that, just since that's a a very big topic that I haven't done that much of. So, you know, eventually I'll probably get there as I run out of things, but I've kind of been uh, procrastinating with that beast uh, for a while. Okay. I, I, yeah, I can understand that one. Uh, I want to talk specifically about the quick diagnostic reference guides because you have a lot of them on the site and there's a lot of information in each one. Now, I, I believe you, you mentioned that you develop these as a teaching aid for residents. And I think you kind of told how that sort of the origin of how that started happening. I'm curious about the format of these. Like, how did you develop that format? And has that changed over the time you've been doing this? Um, You know, I've definitely uh, established a little bit more of a style as I've gone, especially kind of deciding how much detail to put in. But the basic formatting is more or less the same from the first ones that I made. Um, I I think it's just actually kind of follows the format of the notes I would take in college uh, and things like that. So... I guess this was just kind of, you know, the the format that I developed in organic chemistry or whatever, biology and stuff like that. And so this was just kind of how my brain would take notes and how I would visually kind of separate topics to kind of separate them, I guess, in my mind and on the page. So I think, it you know, it I've refined it a little bit, but they're remarkably similar uh, such that, you know, for example, you know, I think you know, the first ones I've made were some of the GI ones, like not necessarily the inflammatory one, because I think I made that one. Uh, Dr. Arnold's book didn't come out until I'd kind of already started this process. Mm-hmm. But there's one on like um, infections and one on, I'm trying to think back on all of them. I have to go to my website, but there's some kind of in that first block of uh, you know non-neoplastic um, GI things. And a lot of those were some of the first ones I've made. And some of them I've like updated minorly, but I guess I'm maybe I should uh, evolve a little more. But it seems like people liked what I I just kind of came across that and kind of uh, had been keeping it up ever since. Um, probably the thing that changes the most is kind of the in depth I've gone. And I think as I've gotten, I'm putting more a little bit more depth into them than I did in like the original series. Just since you know they were originally I was focusing on uh, brevity. But I think since then, I've kind of been trying to focus more on uh, not like tremendous depth, but like, you know, all you need to know sort of stuff. If okay. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. What What's the word for that? The high yield. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think a little too much probably got left on the cutting room floor in the first one. So another ones that were the first ones I made were the skin ones, uh, which are kind of further down on the page. But um, at the University of Kentucky, there wasn't a dermatopathologist on staff. So I liked Derm uh, also and considered doing a fellowship in that. And so I said, well, and I teach these guys some more Derm. And so I, those were some of the first ones I made, the 
the uh, skin ones. And you'll see those look remarkably similar to some of the later ones. But I'd say one thing is that they're a little bit briefer. So I think, you know, one another thing is eventually I'm going to have to start circling back to some of these. I'm still kind of in the process of kind of doing a first draft of everything. There's some that I go back to and fix errors, but I haven't really had the time to do like a complete second pass and like redo certain ones, if that makes sense. Um, So eventually I'll probably start going, you know, going through everything again and trying to make it something that make a full second edition. But I've been kind of uh, focusing on trying to do a good first edition, so to speak, uh, first before uh, going back to some other things, because I think it's a decent you know, amount that's on there for now. It just could be better. Now, we, we know that people are using this site to study for boards. I, I, you know, I, I've seen examples on, on, on Twitter, again, of people saying that that's what they're doing. Uh, so now, if someone decides, okay, I want to use Kurt's notes to help me study for boards, do you think there'd be some kind of method they should use? Or, you know, how would you suggest that they should do that? I guess it kind of depends on where they are in their training. And I guess, you know, one thing I would say is, Kurt's notes is probably too much to bite off when you're like a first year resident. Um, when you're a first year resident, it's probably better for the like at the scope previewing a little bit. But there's another book, which I don't know if you've been brought up on this podcast before, but uh, Malavi is kind of what people refer to it as. But I think it's called like The Practice of Surgical Pathology by Diana Malavi. Uh, okay. And this book is like a book that every resident either should or does have at their desk. It's a remarkably small book in that, you know, it's not that thick. It's maybe, I don't know, it doesn't look that big. It's unassuming on someone's desk, but it's a solid gold book. And so I read that book cover to cover probably like five times in residency, but then it was kind of, you know, searching for something to kind of read after that. And then it's a pretty big step from Malavi up to say like Rosai or Sternberg or something for that. Uh, And so this is maybe... So like Rosai and Sternberg are two volume things that, you know, are probably collectively like 3000 pages or something like that. And Malavi is maybe like 200 pages. So, you know, this is kind of something that's supposed to be in between. It trims all most of the fat out, but uh, contains more information. You know, Malavi is a really good uh, bite size, uh, you know, first place to start, but it's nowhere near the detail you need for boards. So it's kind of one thing uh, for Kurt's notes. And so where would to start? You know, it's not like since it's organized by organ system, it's not like there's really a um, start here place uh, per se. So I guess I would say, you know, maybe start with whatever you're the weakest in. So that way you can read that section twice. (laughs) So you can, you know, come back to it again later on. Okay. And some other things on my website that I would point out that are kind of made specifically for board studying is there's a separate tab at the top that's quizzes. And so a big portion of the boards is they essentially used to be would give you a glass slide and they say, what is this? With like a li- maybe a little bit of intro of like 29-year-old female, but sometimes it's just glass slide, what is this? Now, post-COVID, it's a virtual slide. And so on uh, my website, there's a bunch of these essentially practice tests, practice quizzes, where it's kind of, you know, unlabeled slides, and then either multiple choice or kind of fill in the blank, what are these? And then I have the answers posted too. So in addition to just reading Kurt's notes, I would, I think it's very good practice 
to kind of be used to this uh, a digital format since a lot of people still practice glass slide pathology, although we may not forever. Um, mm-hmm. But for the time speaking, that's what most of our day to day practice is. But we're being tested in a digital format. So you, this is a good way to get pr- familiar with that digital format and be familiar with this, like getting very little info, but still kind of being able to come up with something about it, being able to you know, look in the background and say like, hey, that looks like normal lung over there. Okay, we're in the lung. Okay, what's my differential for a mass in the lung and kind of work from there. So I would uh, kind of encourage people to, you know, the diagnostic guides are what I aim to, you know, have the people use to study, uh, but there's there's no specific place to start. But you should also don't overlook uh, this whole kind of whole quiz section since I've kind of put some time into that, and I think that's a invaluable skill that will serve you kind of too. So one thing I've kind of started doing with my residents and uh, that I did in Kentucky and I've kind of done at UC Davis is I give them twice a year a slide quiz where it's you know 20 barely labeled slides of like you know lung what is this. And then they kind of have to write their answers on a sheet of paper and give it to me. And then I grade it and give it back to them. And everyone does this every year. And then I post those quizzes, not with how the residents did, but just, you know, the quizzes so the world can take it on the website also. So that way other people can kind of go through a similar practice. Because I think it's very um, it's good self-testing also. So you can see your weaknesses yeah. of like, man, I'm not getting any of these ovary questions right or whatever. So that way you can, I guess know which uh, guide to go to also. Okay. So, so the quizzes on the websites are the, the ones that you use with your residents at UC Davis. Some of them. Yeah. So there's um, kind of two sections of quizzes. One is um, like these 20 slide quizzes. And that's kind of, those are ones that I give to the residents here. And then at the top, there's two half length board exams. So I think on the boards, it's now like 85 virtual slides. So there's two, like 45 slide ones on there. Um, so those are kind of, you know, big, long ones. So you can practice getting a little bit of uh, endurance also for the real thing. Okay. I see. That, that makes sense. All right. Uh, is, is there anything that I, I haven't asked you that you wanted to mention before we wrap up here? I don't think so. I think those are the uh, big uh, highlights of my uh, hopefully long career. You know, I hope yeah. to uh, kind of, you know, flush these out a lot more as we go. This is, I think Kurt's notes has kind of only been, uh, you know, a thing for like two years or something like that. And uh, so hopefully over the course of, you know, years, decades, we'll see how long it'll kind of become, uh, I'll get to more and more things and kind of polish them up a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, one other uh, thing on the website that I guess I'll point out also is there's kind of a, a comments section, not for people to leave comments, but um, in uh, pathology reports, a lot of times the pathologist will have a canned comment potentially. So for a lot of these like medical biopsies, you know, for like an IBD case or a medical liver case, um, you know, there's a certain number of, the body has a limited number of ways to reacting to certain things. And so there's kind of a limited number of things you can see on the microscope. And for each of those reactions, there's kind of a set differential diagnosis of, you know, you see this really fatty liver that's probably either due to, you know, uh, alcoholic liver or non-alcoholic stay out hepatitis due to, you know, obesity and things like that. So I have a section that's kind of all of my canned comments, uh, as the phrase may be, um, that I throw in my reports. So kind of just 
samples of how you could sign things out. Cause I guess, you know, starting out in pathology, sometimes it's hard just to know what to write on the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is essentially just samples of what I write on the bottom line. If you're looking, if you're at a loss for words, this can uh, be put some potential words to use that a lot of them probably require some modification to be specific to your you know, particular case, but it can at least give you some thoughts of ways you could phrase things, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, it definitely does. And I will uh, include a link to Kurt's notes in the show notes for this episode. This has been really interesting to learn about kind of the origin of Kurt's notes and what you're trying to do with that and, and to learn more about you as well. Dr. Kurt Schauberg, thank you very much. Thanks. I appreciate it. Great big thanks to Dr. Kurt Schauberg. Here's a trailer from another episode that I think you'll enjoy. And then I'll be back with some final comments on this episode. Why do you think it was it was necessary to kind of point out sort of the contrast between pathology and other other medical specialties? Most medical students, you know, they in their core curriculum, they learn about pathology. We get up there and teach them about, you know, how in the lab, how is rheumatoid arthritis diagnosed and what does a granuloma look like and what's the differential diagnosis, et cetera. But it's not really what a pathologist does on day to day. We teach them what pathology is, but I don't think it's a really good snapshot into what a pathologist actually does in a day to day. And the vast majority of your medical students will never do a pathology uh, rotation. It's not required. And, um, you know, there's limited time to do electives, so they frequently choose to do something else. And because of that, we, we really don't get an opportunity to show them what a pathologist is. We don't get an opportunity to, to sell it. So I think papers like this are super important to show a medical student what is the career like? What are we doing? Why is it a great career? Why you should consider it? You can hear more from Dr. Natasha Savage in episode 81. I really love Dr. Schauber's excitement about the things that he's doing, and he's a great storyteller as well. So this episode was a lot of fun for me. You'll definitely want to check out his website if you haven't already. I mean, we talked about a little bit of what's there, but there's so much more information on this site. There really is a wealth of information, and I think it would be useful to anyone who works in pathology. I mean, even if you're not studying for boards right now. I'll have a link in the show notes to Kurt's notes, as well as links to everything else that we talked about today. Don't forget, you can follow this show on Twitter and Instagram at People of Path, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Thank you for continuing to share the show with others. And together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being. And you can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network if you'd like to check out some of their other interesting podcasts. Thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.